you're an early stage Web3 founder, apply to our award-winning accelerator program, Basecamp at outlierventures.io slash Basecamp. We write your first $50,000 check and give you access to 200 mentors, including many of the leading Web3 founders, and a network of 1,000 of the world's leading investors and exchanges. We've helped over 30 startups from 15 countries from all around the world raise $130 million in growth funding and can help you fast track product market fit and where relevant, the launch of your token economy. Great. So today I'm happy to welcome on Alex Atala, co-founder and CTO of OpenSea. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me, Jamie. So is Atala Lebanese? I, have a, I had a, used to have a guy that worked with me with the same name. It was French Lebanese. I think most of the Atalas are in Lebanon. My Atala part is from Palestine, that area in general. So OpenSea is described as the largest marketplace for rare items and buy, sell, discover and trade limited edition goods and really serves as this decentralized marketplace for crypto collectibles. I guess we're still playing around with the vernacular of whether we add crypto on the front or not. Um, so the reasons why I want you on the show, I mean, it should be obvious, right? NFTs are uh, really hot right now. They're getting a lot of attention. And I think, you know, OpenSea has a, a unique both position and perspective, I think, on the wider uh, NFT market in, in terms of um, being able to see where purchases are made, different types of um, NFT assets, where they're made on what platforms, what happens in the secondary market. Of course, um, uh, things can happen directly on the OpenSea platform as well. And I know you are, uh, as an organization, very committed to open source. So as I understand it, OpenSea is entirely open source. You could, if you wanted to, fork it, right? That's not entirely true. So we, our software development kit, or SDK, is open sourced. We have a couple projects and smart contracts that are open sourced. Our core marketplace smart contract is open sourced, but our backend and front end, like the actual app itself is not. We're thinking about ways of doing that potentially in the future, but right now um, we definitely see the value in having like solidity and the, the real blockchain code open sourced so people can see exactly how to make it interoperable with their apps. We're more just focused on getting that stuff right when we open source it. Understood. Okay. Thanks for the point of clarification. And then, you know, there's, I guess, within the NFT community, um, I'm not sure how aware people who aren't kind of really deep into the space uh, are around these considerations, but questions around, you know, what happens on chain, what happens off chain, especially around metadata, royalties, um, uh, standards around interoperability, the kind of questions a lot of creators are, are asking. Um, and I know you've got some interesting thinking there. And as I said, um, from a market perspective, you're certainly one of the most kind of comprehensive places to understand what's going on more generally. There's a lot of data there. You're able to kind of sort and filter by platform, by asset type, um, and see where all the action's happening. So um, maybe just contextualize you as a as a founder, uh, previously Y Combinator, Stanford, Apple, uh, and Palantir. I guess the question is, uh, you know, now that you're kind of working in a world of crypto kittens, wh- where did it all go wrong? <laughs> And how do you explain that to your family? I mean, you know, they, they were thinking this guy's on a great career trajectory and all of a sudden he's now tinkering around with, with collectible cats. Yeah, I think I really wanted to work in an area that's a completely new 
technology. And brand new technologies often start off in the form of toys. You know, like Facebook started as hot or not, and Apple started as computer development kits being shipped to hobbyists around Santa Clara. So I started looking around for things that felt like toys, but had the potential to be a lot more. There's kind of a computer revolution every 15 years. We had mobile, before that we had internet, before that we had personal computing. And I'm, I'm always, or I really wanted to work on the next one. And the crypto was, it just felt like this trading speculation hype cycle that was going on in 2017. So I spent some time looking into it and figuring out, are there, you know, is there any real interesting technology here? And then CryptoKitties came into the scene at the very end of the year, really looking different from everything else, really looking like a toy that was just exponentially more exciting than similar non-blockchain toys. I'd, I'd never been like a big Neopets person or anything like that. Um, and I honestly, I wasn't like a big CryptoKitties breeder either, but I did have some friends who were making $30,000 a week breeding, just breeding CryptoKitties, let alone selling them. And these people were people like me. So they were, they were actually like trying to buy crypto for something other than buying drugs or, you know, all the, you know, or speculating all the conventional just things. So that's kind of what piqued my interest and maybe dive deep into it. And like in many ways, I think that's been rewarding because NFTs are a lot more than toys and toys are, are just like they've been for many other breakout industries. They're a good starting case because it's, when when something goes wrong, you know users are are there partly just for the fun of it. So they're they're a bit more forgiving um, when there are hiccups in the early days, and they're very excited about new changes and new brand new developments. They're early technologists in many ways. Yeah, and I think um, you know I, I kind of said that half joking at, at the beginning. I mean, you know, you have got an incredible, almost perfect. CV uh, before you, you came into the space, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But clearly, I, I'm also subscribed to the idea that you know NFTs offer this kind of crossover breakout moment, really, whereby all of this stuff that we've been building in crypto and DeFi becomes relevant, understandable, usable, and in a way, abstracted away. And, and I think, as you say, the behavior of play is uh, more powerful if not equally powerful to speculation, if you can combine play and speculation, I think that's when it gets um, it gets really exciting. So maybe we could just kind of unpick some of the things I said at the beginning in terms of Y Combinator, Stanford, Apple, and, and Palantir. Could you just talk us through, I guess, that journey um, and it and you know what elements of it were informative to, I guess, your your role and, and vision of what you're doing at OpenSea. When I was at Palantir, it was mostly enterprise software. And Palantir has a very cool core product that's all about searching disparate databases and getting them all under the umbrella of one easy-to-use UI. But when you apply it to particular industries, it usually doesn't fit. It's not a one-size-fits-all situation. You have to build plugins that work for banking, built separate plugins that work for hospitals and separate plugins that work for the government, for like the typical government agencies that people have heard using Palantir. 
and police departments too. So I worked on those. I was a Ford deployed engineer, figuring out how to best take this product, this not one size fits all product, and making it solve actual problems that these disparate industries were facing. And I focused on government my first year and then uh, finance my second year. So I, I got like a, I kind of got a big appreciation for making things that people actually want and not just, you know, building something that you think is technically cool and expecting people to just show up at your doorstep without prompting. Sometimes that happens. Like Apple is a company where that, that was the core philosophy, just from the ground up, make the hardware, make it really cool. Don't talk to users. <laughs> users don't know what they want and then people will come. And on the other end of the spectrum is something like Amazon, where you know, lots of buttons are not consistent. There's you know, padding missing from random parts of the pages. The, you know, a lot of stuff is kind of quickly thrown together, but it works. It delivers to your house. It, like, the form is always submittable. Your credit card stuff is not getting stolen. And that's kind of what people want the most from it. So with OpenSea, we're, I guess we've got some elements of both where we're trying to build a marketplace that like provides liquidity right when buyers and sellers need it. But we're also trying to build like a really solid core product for discovering new types of NFTs. And when we see a type of metadata that's really strange, just like a Palantir or something that doesn't really fit the one size fits all umbrella, then we, we build a framework internally that we can use to adapt our metadata to fit the new game or to fit this new project uh, so that we can get, a, like you said at the beginning of this, a really comprehensive, without any kind of holes, overview of what's going on in the NFT space. Yeah, and you can certainly see that. Um, as I said, it, it's certainly my go-to place. And I know a lot of people almost use it as their NFT URL, right, if, if they want to share themselves off as a collector or a creator. Um, they'll kind of just share their OpenSea link and uh, and that kind of serves the purpose, even though it's um, not necessarily at, at, at this stage looking like it's designed to be a, a, a homepage as such. Um, so what led you to found OpenSea? Obviously, you're a co-founder, so your journey involved somebody else. And, and what was the genesis of the idea and the vision? Yeah. So Devin and I knew each other. Devin Finzer is the CEO and my co-founder for OpenSea. He knew, we knew each other through a mutual friend. We'd like known, done some work together for, I think, four-ish years before OpenSea. And right before, in the hype of 2017, we both decided, like, let's, let's look at crypto and let's see if there's something real here. And we started working on making software for routers that would let you like get cryptocurrency if people shared your, your bandwidth. And you know, we toyed around with the idea. Uh, we applied and got into Y Combinator with it. But CryptoKitties was just way too distracting in December. And it was a clear sign of like immediate market need for something. There was no Coinbase for NFTs. Uh, there were no other NFTs besides CryptoPunks and CryptoKitties on the Ethereum blockchain, uh, really anywhere. And we definitely 
we felt like there was going to be lots of clones of CryptoKitties, but also some interesting assets that are inspired from it that have valuable metadata on them, which is something that fungible currencies don't. And you could reimagine like whole, you know, new types of ways of like getting usernames as NFTs or domain names as NFTs or software licenses as NFTs, including things that, have, that no one has tried that I really want to get tried, like selling font licenses to use a font as an NFT. So th there's like a list of like dozens of these use cases in one of my note-taking things. And you know, every year a couple of them get checked off. And also every year a whole bunch of them that I didn't ever predict pop up. And it's those ones that you never predicted that <laughs> usually do the best. So this was exactly the type of industry I wanted to be in. And that's why we started OpenSea. Yeah, I mean, I definitely subscribe to the idea. I've been saying for the last six months that you know, the Binance or the Coinbase kind of picks and shovels that, you know, became the unicorns of the first cycle, depending on how you look at it. Um, you know, the, the equivalent will be uh, an NFT platform. And potentially that has the opportunity su to surpass a kind of pure play cryptocurrency exchange because only so many people are ever going to speculate or, or touch cryptocurrencies whilst... As you say, the, the range of use case in NFTs is almost uh, limitless. So let's talk about the um, specifically where, where you're seeing the action, where you're seeing the volume, you know, what new from an asset perspective, and then also from a platform perspective. Well, first, from an asset perspective, I'll say it's not only NFTs that have limitless use cases. Um, one type of fungible token that's been pretty interesting in the last few quarters from a use case perspective is social tokens, where a community or an in, like social influencer or a game will roll its own token that's usable in a very community-centric way. You know, like your Discord, your rank in a Discord server is influenced by how many of some coin that you own, whether or not you can access some channels in some chat group is based on how much of a coin you own. Um, whether you can like get a 10 minute one-on-one -on -one with a founder of a project uh, is based on how much of a token you own. So there's lots of communities that are experimenting with this. And it's I think it's really exciting to join them. Um, and they also, most of them involve NFTs too. Like the coin community is an example. They have uh, like ways of farming for their coin and, and earning NFTs as a reward, which you then sell on OpenSea. There's Rack, the musician, or, or RAC, who you know, has his own token that he uses as a way of getting subscriber interests and then also tying into a Discord community that he set up. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's, I think, Needs a, needs a bit more software polish, but eventually could be really interesting in addition to NFTs. That's sort of a big tangent on fungibles. But for NFTs themselves, we're seeing, well, our, I mean, the, the whale, the elephant in the room, whale in the sea, in our terminology, is art. 
I think it's a lot more than just digital, you know, taking digital art and selling it online. Art is a way for people with like a really interesting and internet era sense of truth and people with like a lot of creativity that comes out in digital media now having a way of making a business and selling to anyone in the world without having to worry about any bank accounts, any international money transmission issues, and without having to worry about the pandemic and touching things and shipping things. So there's, there's just a lot less friction and still people can buy things that are just aesthetically interesting or expressions of an intense truth that you identify with. That's, that's what art is. So it, it really, this is, this is like a way of getting a business that never existed before. It's a whole new business. Um, it's also the easiest way to become an entrepreneur. You can just build, you can make things on your computer without needing any other resources besides the internet and, and electricity. And you can make an NFT and sell it. And then you build a following off of your aesthetic. And the, the, every time that a, a famous collector co like buys one of your art pieces, then everyone will know because it's a very transparent market. And people will talk about it and then demand for all of your art pieces that you've ever made goes up. How do people know that you made it and not somebody else? There is no debate anymore because your wallet address is the only one allowed to mint new items under your collection. And we can clearly see in the blockchain which wallet created each item. So there's still fraud. You can still create items that like visually in terms of the image look like somebody else's image. And then you try to pass them off as your own and sell them. But every platform, including OpenSea, can just make a big database of all the verified artists that we know. And every time some piece comes out, that looks like a piece by somebody else, it's really easy to just check it. You still gotta check it, and it's kind of a half automated, half human process right now. But that process we've been doing for the past two and a half years. And we have like the longest list of verified collections and artists out there. And we, um, and we have a public open API so that you can pull that into your app. Um, buyers use this to just be safe when they're buying art on OpenSea and sellers use this when they want like a stamp of approval and a bit more visibility on the OpenSea marketplace. So art, I think it like has been a huge boon. There's been, I think we started the year with about a million dollars in monthly volume, rose to about 3 million monthly in the middle and we're ending at about 5 million monthly at the end, which is about a million dollars more than our goal for the year. And there's a lot more users in the space. There are a lot that are just changing their Twitter bios to indicate that they're now NFT artists. And they're bringing in their friends because they're finding they're, you know, their incentives are aligned with the market. They want people to see and buy their art. And they're not worried about PayPal accounts or the pandemic or shipping things. You just need to like see the piece, see that it's verified and click buy. Yeah, I'm, there's, there's a lot of interesting things there. You know, so the, this idea around um, <clears throat> the, the fungible piece 
and and access tokens and stuff like that actually at outlier we're uh we were trying, going to try and do it before Christmas. It's probably not going to happen now. It might be in the new year, but we we will have a crypto beverages can and a, and a crypto credit card um, for Outlier, which will give to our VIPs, and that will give access to uh, Calendly to book in meetings, one-to-ones, access to a Discord. So um, I kind of fully subscribe to both as a social currency and almost as um, martech right marketing tech as a way of uh, delivering loyalty around access um but like community mechanisms i think is a, a really powerful thing um also this idea that you know nfts enable economic experimentation and a degree of in- inclusion for creative industries um I think it's going to be really interesting to see how disruptive that is to traditional creative industries and and the intermediaries that dominate them, whether that's music or, as you say, um, art. Um, so, so as a, I mean, firstly, do you think of yourself as a platform? And if so, you know, is your approach kind of horizontal one, or are you thinking to kind of vertically? integrate into certain use cases i know you've been looking at storefronts right and various things yeah so we're a platform and we're horizontal the uh the vertical i think that we've just been giving some thought about is is art recently and a key need for that vertical is to be able to create easily and it's we've had, we we partner up with a lot of different ways of issuing NFTs because we're not going to make a one size fits all solution for every creator, but we do have a type of creator that hits OpenSea and they buy and sell things. They do our core things that we, that like we, we try to be the best at. Um, And then they just, they, they, they just want to do something really simple when they create NFTs. They want to, they have something they want to experiment with. They just want like a simple way to get it up and into the marketplace and to see all of their sales and get paid every time there's a secondary sale. Anytime someone sells to someone else, they want to earn. And all of that stuff has kind of pushed us into making a really nice way to mint NFTs. And the number one thing people want in this is to be able to do it for free. <laughs> Because it costs a lot in gas, especially when DeFi is very hot, then gas prices on Ethereum go up and it becomes really hard to make stuff. And that sucks for everybody. So we rebuilt our storefront creator very recently to let you create collections on OpenSea for free and to let you make items for free. And these items are basically minted on purchase. They're lazily minted. So it's kind of a complex social contract setup but it allows you to make things without having to pay any money. And only when buyers buy the item, when they're already sending money to the smart contract, the minting transaction replaces the transfer transaction. So they pay the same amount in gas, but the item gets minted on chain for the first time on the first buy or the first time gifted. So it's easy to like make, make everything on chain if you really want it to be. And it's easy to just get a bunch of content up and sell it if you don't. So it, it helps get the best of both worlds for an on-chain and just quick and easy off-chain creators. 
understood. Neat. Um, so that kind of takes us into this debate around what happens on chain, what happens off chain, in the context of royalties and you know metadata. What, what's your kind of house house view on that? Let me explain a little bit about how metadata works right now. Uh, there's two types of metadata. One is, and, and meta, so backing up a little bit more, <laughs> metadata for NFTs is information about the token that shows up on OpenSea, aside from just the token number. So when you buy, let's say, the, an ENS domain name, and your domain name is jamie.eth, then jamie.eth, that word, is part of the metadata. Um, OpenSea also makes images for all ENS names. So that image is part of the metadata. And there's lots of other things like whether it's a short name, how long the name is, when it expires, when you've got to renew it, all that stuff is metadata. That metadata usually is off-chain. It's something where when we ask the smart contract, hey, what's the metadata for token number five? Smart contract will say, you can find that at HTTP colon double slash something that's a normal website. OpenSea goes to that website and scrapes and looks for all the different types of metadata formats that everybody's come up with. And that's an off-chain process that has the benefit of being really flexible for the developer. So when the developer makes mistakes or changes, they can easily update their tokens. They just publish the change and then OpenSea updates all the tokens and shows the re and reflects all the changes. Downside is that the developer is not trustworthy. They can mess with that data and make it something that the buyer didn't really buy. That doesn't happen a lot in practice because I think in part buyers are, are, buying, are, are incorporating trust of the developer in their purchase decisions. It's not a separate thing. There are very few cases where a buyer is buying something and they think the developer is totally untrustworthy, might be a scam artist, might run away with everybody's money. Like that's part of the buying decision. So, and that's part of our decision too, when we whitelist collections and when we safelist them for buyer safety on OpenSea. So since that's the reality, most metadata is off chain and most people, um, or that works for most collections. Some collections though, have a much more idealistic and pure approach to their metadata. Um, I think Avastars is like the crowning example. They have massive smart contracts that they've invested a lot in uploading to Ethereum that allows you to compose these beautiful avatars from purely on-chain vector graphics. And this means that there's no dependency on any server that might go down uh, for whether or not your visual item will be rendered. It's all on an actual blockchain. Now, it's very expensive for developers to set this up, but it's pretty interesting from a collector's perspective. In between those two extremes is sort of a compromise where you don't put the metadata on a chain or like you don't put it on Ethereum. You put it on either a file-specific chain like Arweave or a decentralized file storage network like IPFS. And that is growing in popularity. So we also built our storefront creator to 
eventually let people freeze their metadata and just host it in one of these decentralized file storage areas. And then if, you know, then it's a lot hard, it's easier for that data and those images to last forever. And that's something that loads of creators and artists actually want. They want to be able to like freeze the image and make it impossible for companies to just take it down. Otherwise, how do you buy a piece of art for six figures? You, you kind of need to feel like a patron of art. You need to feel like you are part of the reason this art is going to exist and it, it's not going to go down for some other reason. So a lot of these sound, you know, fairly sensible workarounds for the limitations of, of Ethereum. I, I did a poll recently on Twitter. So, you know, take the numbers for, for what it's worth as to what platforms um, people were using around NFTs if it wasn't Ethereum. And um, I think Polkadot and Flow came out top, Flow of, of Dapper Labs, obviously. Uh, are you guys committed to Ethereum um, philosophically or f for a, a different reason? Or are you also kind of exploring how, at the very least, what you're doing might interoperate with things like Flow or Polkadot? Mm -hmm. So we're, we're on Ethereum right now, and we have a couple other blockchains running in our test nets, Matic and Clayton to name two of them. And we're, we're rolling out support for their main nets very soon um, for a couple other EBM, which means similar looking to Ethereum based blockchains after that. And we're doing so a bit after we've noticed traction on each blockchain. So when like games start building interesting content, then we start prioritizing, like showing that stuff on OpenSea. Um, so for example, NBA hotshots um, on Flow wants a sizable demand for that asset. You, you would then integrate it into OpenSea. Yeah, we're working on Flow. It takes a little bit longer because it's a very different looking blockchain than Ethereum with very different looking events and a, a different resource model. But work is like, definitely, it's already underway. Lots of stuff is complete already with it, but it's probably going to be a bit longer for Flow to come out the last sirens today. This is soundtrack of 2020, don't worry. We, we think that there's going to be a lot more work done on other blockchains besides Ethereum. And the only reason we're on Ethereum right now is because all of the volume before this year was on Ethereum. If you want to make a blockchain yourself and then you want OpenSea to add support for it, it's probably not going to happen. But if you do your own game development and or you get other games to build on your blockchain and there's something unique about your blockchain that really appeals to developers other than you know that basically is potential for lots of other developers to build on it in the future then we look into adding support for it we don't try to build before the market has has any interest at all we wait for you know a good number of indicators before will add support for a, a new chain. Yeah, that makes sense. You, you can be quite demand-led. And again, because you've got this unique viewpoint on what's actually happening in the market, I guess that you can take a very data-led approach to that. So you've got this unenviable position, right, of both having to integrate into 
platforms where assets are, let's just call it minted, issued for now. And, you know, you're also then integrating into platforms that are building on top of different protocols. Do you believe that there will be one NFT platform to rule them all? Or do you believe there'll be a long tail of highly specialized storefronts, marketplaces? And how far does that go down in the stack? Is it just that they're all on the same protocol, but they're they're just a, a different, you know, way of looking at the market? Yeah, this is a really good question because most conventional startup wisdom points to a power law where one platform rules all the others. There's some crypto fundamentals that challenge the power law, which is that everyone is now sharing the same API and no companies are actually owning these assets. So in typical non-crypto land, the winner of the power law, like whatever company has a monopoly, also has a big moat around all this user data that cannot just be one-click exported and sent to their competitors. But for NFTs, they can't. All the data can be one-click exported to any competitor. And that really empowers users in a way that like, people want right now. Um, it also forces crypto companies to be more collaborative and less greedy or monopolistic or um, eager to stockpile moat. And moat's such like a buzzword that every investor will ask about because that's kind of like all investment mentality up to this date. There might be still moat for platforms like the platform with the best brand, the platform that works in Indonesia or that you know is fully localized will do best in Indonesia. There's going to be, a, I think, a, a good number of other types of moats, but user data will not be a moat, at least not like asset, financial asset data. To answer your question specifically, there will be, I think, like an oligopoly at least of platforms that are specialized for particular verticals. And we're not trying to specialize on any one vertical. So we we look for these platforms that are really good at issuing tokens within a vertical. And we make sure that their metadata shows up well on OpenSea, that all of their collections show up in rankings, and that they get visibility from users going and visiting their assets. And that way, you know, it's fully plug and play marketplace. And it's really an open sea. Got you. Well, and I guess, you know, there is some precedent. I don't know how transferable it is, but if you look at what's happening in with sex and DEX, I guess the difference with sex is there's a regulatory moat, right? So where we're here with NFTs, because they're clearly not securities, assuming you don't like you promise a crazy return on them, expectation of profit, um, there is no longer that regulatory moat. But do, do you think there's any learnings from how, you know, the whole sex DEX things played out that is transferable to NFTs? What do you mean, sex decks? Oh, uh, so uh, centralized exchanges um, versus decentralized exchanges. Yeah, sorry. It, it, it could sound like I was saying something else. You know, well, what do you get up to at the weekend? Is it sex or decks? Yeah. Yeah, no, I've definitely seen it. I've definitely pronounced that in my head, but I've never seen anybody <laughs> add decks to the end. So, uh, or heard that. Um, so, wait. So, the question was <laughs> uh, I got to be real. How, how, how is the sex decks debate going to play out? Yeah, do you think that do you think that any of 
any of what's happened in the context of crypto exchanges, you know, for for, for fungible um, assets, is is that transferable into the NFT world? Like in in this debate around platforms and moats and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, well, so for for fungible currencies, things started out all as centralized exchanges, and then decentralized exchanges have been getting more and more popular as people figured out how to do them legally. There was Ether Delta, which tried and then couldn't figure out how to do it legally. And then Uniswap, which has. So that's a pretty big legal triumph for DEXs. And I mean, maybe it's too early to call it, but that's that's pretty good for the NFT space, which has, and with OpenSea, we've always been a DEX and we don't take custody of any assets. So it, it wasn't much of a concern because these are not in risk of being securities and same similar things that got Ether Delta in trouble, but it's still a DEX with some UI issues. You know, centralized exchanges, easy to get your credit card on sign or your bank account connected, sign up, forget your password, there's a way to recover it, et cetera. That kind of thing doesn't exist with decentralized exchanges and it it's still kind of hard, but it's way easier now than it was in the beginning of 2018 for a new user to learn how to use a DEX. And it seems to be getting significantly easier and easier each year. So if a centralized exchange came along, they might be able to take lots of shortcuts where you buy an NFT and they don't do anything. Nothing happens on chain. The NFT just sits in their wallet. And then when you want to withdraw it or do something with your NFT or put it in a wallet, then the company lets you do that and they basically are responsible with sending it to you. That, I, like, I, I don't think there's not a place for a company like that. I think there will probably be a battle between, you know, a, a user debate that arises in the next year or two between companies that do that and pure decentralized exchanges. But I think it's a lot harder for developers to build on a platform that's centralized just because it's harder to know when things happen and why. And that's the advantage of DEXs if they are also platforms. Yeah, and I guess if you follow that logic or line of reasoning, the DEX equivalent for NFTs will have greater composability, you'll have greater rate of innovation in the context of developer tooling, and then presumably that will translate to creator tooling versus you know, one, one platform no matter how many developers they can hire, there's always going to be, you know, a, a difficulty in how they prioritize what they roll out. And um, so I can imagine definitely being a place for both, but clearly the rate of innovation that will happen through the composability of a DEX like yourself. And as you say, kind of like a, a cooperation with competing protocols um, makes sense. So in terms of, the market itself, the market that's going to exist or does exist on OpenSea and, and these other platforms. You mentioned your like really impressive growth numbers in terms of revenue. Clearly, what just happened with with Beeple was a bit of a watershed moment. I think you know his sale was like three point three million dollars, something like that, just over one weekend, which was in large part bigger than most most platforms and perhaps a a precursor to what's about to come in 2021. 
What do you think about, there's a lot of chatter around this idea of oversupply. So the idea that now there's going to be a lot of really established artists coming online with a back catalogue of work, almost like a ready-made market. They've already got supply and demand compared to a new artist. How do you see that playing out in 2021? Well, I think the average price of NFTs will go down, just the average. The total market size, I think, will grow. Um, more. There, there are loads of creators on there are loads of creators who don't monetize really cool visual creations. That, that creators who have big followings on Instagram or DeviantArt or Pixiv. Um, there's a lot of room for growth in just the immediate use cases for you know uh, people similar to people. Also, Pixiv, like this is the biggest art social network in the world. No one, not it's not used a ton in America. It's like mainly for Japan, but they have more like creators and collectors about just around core digital art than any other website, including DeviantArt. So the whole Japanese art market hasn't really stepped into this space yet. And I think that could be a really big potential for growth. So the market will grow. Um, so will the number of suppliers. So will the number of buyers. And the average price, I think, might well should go down because I think the number of suppliers will kind of grow a bit faster than the number of buyers. Um, but that's that's a bit speculative on my part. Like it's not based. On, like I'm kind of basing that on current data, but the data. It tends to change really quickly when one side of the creator-buyer spectrum grows a lot. And it could be that like the, the buyers and collectors grows really quickly next year too. And you got to remember that if that happens, then the average price of an NFT gets pushed up. So it's really, really easy to overestimate the number of the supply and the number of creators, because that's the most visible thing. It's really hard to see the other side of the spectrum, the number of collectors and the number of buyers, because they're not visible until they make big purchases or something like that. So anyway, yeah, average price, I think will go down a little bit in the short term, maybe up later. I mean, intuitively, that feels right. I've got a Discord called 100X with most of the big collectors on. And... Um, at least privately, the, the the general vibe is that most are now undercapitalized and overcollateralized. So you know they're they're looking at things like uh, how they can leverage DeFi to um, achieve a degree of like recapitalize effectively without having to liquidate a position. You know they don't want to they don't want to sell the underlying asset, but they want to try to borrow against it in order that they can. Um, continue to to participate, um, and I think you know one of the things that was exciting about Beeple was he represents perhaps what feels like a, a rare creator, which is like a ready made market. He, he not only does he have all the supply of every days, thirteen years worth of every days, but he actually had he brought with him a demand. Right, he had people that wanted to buy these things, and I think to speak to one of the things that you were saying right at the top end is actually when you were talking about fungible, but I think it's equally relevant in the context of NFTs, which is, you know, these things I think are increasingly social assets. So 
I think we move away from something you buy and store in your MetaMask wallet to something that you experience in a, in a virtual world, um, usually in a social context, perhaps um, can even be consumed in a virtual context. And also this connection to influencers, you know, these artists in Instagram, millions of followers, um, never really been able to fully uh, monetize that community. All of a sudden, you know, they have the economic tooling uh, to do that. And again, you know, they can then bring a load of uh, demand with them, I guess. Yeah. Another part of the argument that there might be too much supply in the future is that is whether or not all this is a fad and like, yeah, the, just the novelty is really valuable right now. But, you know, if someone just comes in with another set of everydays that look vaguely similar to people's, they're just not going to do nearly as well. And I think there's an element of truth to that, just like there's an element of truth to like physical art. When you make something that's similar to another artist's work, or that's not like novel in a very clear way, then it just doesn't get valued as much aside from who you are as an artist. And for crypto art, the work gets really evaluated independently a lot. So but my, my feeling on the novelty bit is that there's still a ton of use cases for NFTs that haven't been explored they can all be tied to art. You know, there's like, you know, influencers making art that uh, gains entry to some chat group if you own it, or art that interoperates in some game if you've played it or if you can play it. And these utility bits that you can add to art, uh, there's just, there's loads of ways of being totally novel there. In addition to like all the different art mediums, like audio, video, um, splitting up a video into chunks, owning the license to use a beat in a, in a YouTube video because you buy the beat as an NFT for the license to use the beat. Same thing for fonts, same thing for you know, just all the different types of licenses. And that stuff, I think, could definitely increase the novelty and, and make new opportunities to run a people style drop um, for I think many years. Yeah, I saw an NFT recently, which was a play on the MTV logo. Um, and it was like NFT and rather than MTV. And it, it kind of made me think, you know, if you think about how MTV and then more recently TikTok as a medium informed the art form, right? You know, artists, musicians are now making tracks specifically for TikTok. And I could imagine the same being true for all the different innovations that we're going to see within NFTs, as you say, because they're programmable. It's, again, almost limitless as to the level of innovation that you can have. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that informs the medium itself, because, as you say, these things are increasingly multimedia. You're seeing collaborations between visual artists and musicians. And um, so, you know, is that the new music video? I don't know. It's it's like, it, it's it's super interesting on, on a number of levels. So maybe if we kind of zoom out, where do you think all of this stuff goes? Do you subscribe? Do you see this in the context of the metaverse, the open metaverse or something different? There's potential for the metaverse to 
control or dominate the way people experience NFTs. But it's dependent on a whole separate industry that's developing on its own at its own pace on a completely different trajectory than crypto and Web3 apps, the AR, VR industry. And th there's definitely some like browser clients for experiencing the metaverse that are that seem like they're moving on a path to get us somewhere that's fun and easy to experience in a browser, but it hasn't quite clicked yet. There's still like lots of performance and quality improvements that need to be made. And, uh, yeah, and they're also missing us like a really fun social layer. And then there's, you know, the Oculus quest, which I just think is really bulky and it's not catching on as a result. There might be Apple AR glasses that like really are not bulky that look like this, where I can like put my NFT on my wall in my room and just have it stay there all the time. When I wake up, it's just there. When I put my glasses on, it's just there. And that might really change the way people like experience the NFTs they buy because they'll want to just virtually put them up as uh, like tokens of ownership that exist in your physical world. So, I mean, I think that'll make the NFTs that we own now more valuable when we have better ways of viewing them. And I think it'll open up big industries for creating the software for that hardware. Um, I think it will also like help like when crypto voxels and Decentraland, Somnium Space and Sandbox improve their web clients, it could really change the way we experience NFTs and it could be like the main way. But right now, I, like, people are pretty happy with experiencing them on their phones and on their computers. And also when you're making a really big purchase decision, that's a very hard thing to do on your phone. People like to feel power and have all the controls in front of them when they're making big purchase decisions. Like, Sometimes it's, we see it as a phone purchase, but most of the big purchases we see are on desktop. So I think there's, there's still quite a bit of, of experience that people still crave just on desktop clients. And just on that, actually, I mean, I guess as certainly in a secondary market context, and if you look at something like OpenSea, presumably people are making much more informed purchase decisions. It's like a you know, they're looking at the market, the performance of this particular asset, what it's last resold at. And so they want more data available to make that purchase decision versus perhaps just participating in an auction, right? It's just like, well, you're going to bid up to a point and, and that's it. So I, I can kind of see that um, taking shape in a market context. Right, right. And yeah, when you're, you're bidding, you want to make sure that you're seeing all the right data and they, you're not missing it because it's out of your field of vision or your screen size on your phone or something like that. Or you, you didn't get the push notification for some reason. Um, with the second question you asked, like what's the short term look like in 2021? Um, I think we'll have a lot, I think we'll, a good amount of art experiments will be run that haven't been run yet. We might have some interesting audio NFTs that pop up that have just gotten started in the past two months. We added support for like lots of different types of audio formats up to 100 megabytes. 
but there's you know there's a lot of like uses for buying art and art nfts that like you can use in something else the idea of remixing pieces crediting the original creator and and selling a remixed version of it that involves some you know on-chain payments like looking at the contract to figure out who is due a fee from a sale um, which requires some changes on our end that we're working on making and that stuff i think could happen sometime in the middle of next year and we'll also see some games launch that have been really hard at work since nfts started picking up in early 2018 and games take years to make and there are a couple of games that have been in the works for years that users are now getting early access to like Neon District, Skyweaver, Sandbox. Metaverses will start getting some interesting experiences in them. And they might draw like, like actual mainstream traffic next year, um, including Decentraland and Sandbox and Somnium Space. And then there will be like some more indie uh, experimental projects that just have completely crazy wild card stuff. That, that tends to happen every year for projects that are really open and trying things that have never been tried before. So I, that's hard to predict, but um, it seems to happen on a regular basis for NFTs. And every 12 months, the space looks really different from the previous 12 months. Yeah, well, I mean, look, it's been, it's been fascinating talking to you. And, you know, this is one of those spaces where I imagine if we speak in even three months' time, right, there's just going to be a whole new raft of, of different topics. Um, the rate of innovation is is really exciting. Um, so, Alex, uh, thanks for your time and all the good work you're doing at OpenSea. As I said, it is, it is something that I use pretty much daily. Um, I've probably even got some requests that I'm going to give you offline. Yeah, but other than that, thanks so much for coming on and, and hopefully New York quietens down a bit. It sounds like you, uh, you're you definitely in the depths of the, the pandemic there with all the sirens going off. Yeah, hopefully it does. The one city that has a really big mask wearing culture too. So I'm a little confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Alex, thanks for your time. Thank you, Jamie. Have a good one. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.